trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Come, revel in wrong think with us. My friend Eric Peters drops by today, as, as he does each week, to talk about current events. Eric, how do you find yourself today? Well, uh, two weeks away from the big day, eh? Yeah. I'm, I, I, I don't know whether to be optimistic or not for the midterms. There's a part of me Nor that says, I. I see a lot of people who are righteously ticked off, finally starting to understand what's been done to them. And at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of pessimistic, wondering, is there nearly enough? Well, I think what I'm most pessimistic pessimistic about, pardon me, I haven't had enough coffee yet this morning, I guess, uh, is that indeed the Republicans will emerge victorious and then do absolutely nothing, as they have done in the past. Uh, And I think if that scenario happens, it's going to be the end of the Republican Party, at least I hope so, uh, much like it was the end of the Whig Party uh, some 150 years ago when they too became so obviously irrelevant that they had to be replaced. Wow. Well, you do have a good point. The Republicans have a very bad habit of getting power and then basically just maintaining the status quo, you know, maybe making some noise about, you know, rolling back infringements and so forth. But I don't know. I'm seeing I'm seeing an awakening. And maybe it's just because I'm seeing what I want to see. People are starting to realize that uh, what was done to us under the guise of lockdowns, mandates and so forth was not kosher. And, And I'm curious to see how far that takes them. Yeah, I agree with that. I think what's happened has been unprecedented. I think that's a given. And I think it happened so aggressively, you know, per the uh, the old saw about the frog in the, the pot. Uh, I think they turned up the heat too fast. And I think the frog became aware of the fact that he was being cooked. And I'm hopeful at any rate that, that that's what's going to happen. I even see signs of that on the other side of the fence. I don't know if you caught the uh, the, the little conclave that AOC held in New York. Oh, yeah. Where her own... Her own constituents were uh, vituperating her and abusing her for having become just another one of these D.C. hacks who's egging on World War III while everybody else is just trying to figure out how to pay their rent. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, I guess that's part of what I would point to is maybe people are finally starting to wake up. Um, I, you know, you and I both heard, you know, ad nauseum, this is the most important election of our lifetimes. There's a little hitch in my stomach that wonders if more is riding on this one than we realize. Well, I think a whole lot is riding on it. And I guess the thing that has me most concerned or one of the things that has me most concerned, which I got into at greater length in the article, is that let's just hypothesize that the Republicans do carry the day and there is this red tsunami. Um, people have to remember that the, the leftists uh, will still control the federal government for the following two months. Mm. And what are they going to do during those two months? What are they going to do if, after a Republican victory, the orange man comes out and says officially that he is going to be running in 2024? I expect much mayhem to sue in that to ensue in that event. No, that's a that's a good point. What's the old saying? Hell hath no fury like a lame duck party yeah. with an axe to grind. <laughs> yeah, and they're you know they're they're literally going to behave in the manner of the cornered rat if they believe that not merely their power is threatened, but that there's the possibility of repercussions for what they've done. So, of course, we'd have to rely on Republicans to do that. And that is another concern that I have, that these people are going to do nothing more substantive than hold the usual hearings, 
and scold people verbally when what we need, as you and I have, have discussed repeatedly in the past, uh, we need criminal indictments and we need hard time. We need serious consequences for what was done to the people of this country over the past three years. Here, here. Actually, here in Idaho, uh, I was just reading last week, there's a, a <clears throat> candidate running for the state Senate who actually came right out and said, we need Nuremberg-style trials. And, oh, man, mm-hmm. the, the legacy media lost its mind. How dare you, you know, how dare you compare these Nazi war crime trials with, you know, people just trying to keep us safe? And it's like... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they just have bad well, because it's literally true. I mean, oh, the, compar- no. yeah. the comparison is literally apt. You know, a lot of people, most people are familiar with uh, the ovens and, and, and the death camps. What a lot of people, on the other hand, are not familiar with is that it all began uh, in a much more discreet manner with something called the Action T4 program in Germany, which was when they used doctors and hospitals to round up quietly people who were deemed to be unfit. Uh, for one reason or another, whether they were mentally retarded or they were old or they were sick or whatever it was, and they would euthanize them in hospitals. Doctors would, would euthanize these people. And uh, word about it got out, and there there was a little bit of a kerfuffle, but it was quickly silenced. And, of course, the Germans bowed their heads and just went along with the, the, the program. And, of course, we, that led to the ovens and the death camps. Well, what have we got now? We had these the doctors, the medical apparatus. It was at the forefront of pushing all of the stuff that's been happening, including hurting people, old people, into into these uh, cloistered uh, retirement community situations where they were much more likely to get the Rona and die of it, uh, forcing dangerous drugs like remdesivir on people, forcing ventilators on people. And the net result is that thousands of people were killed. And I think the parallel is most apt because it's true. Yep. And that's exactly I have to give credit to this candidate. He, uh, he, you know, they, they told him, you're extreme. That's a terrible extreme thing to say. And he just mm-hmm. said, it's the truth. I'm not going to dumb it right. down because, you know, it, it's the truth. It needs to be spoken. I'll let the chips fall where they may. And I like seeing candidates lean into truth, you know, when, when push comes to shove like that. Well, I think it's become necessary. I think Mitt Romneyism, to coin a new neologism, is done with. I think people have had enough of accommodationist, squish, milquetoast politicians uh, who just do and say the bare minimum necessary uh, to get elected, and then once elected, they just continue to perpetuate the same system that creates all the problems that all of us are constantly talking about. It's enough, and it's got to come to a stop, and the only way to do that is to call it out and call it out truthfully and directly. Here, here. Well, are you feeling encouraged as far as like your, your local or state races? Do you, do you see people stepping up there or do you feel like more of this hinges on, you know, what happens nationally? Well, you know, Virginia right now isn't one of these key battleground states. Uh, it's not like uh, Georgia um, or Arizona where you've got you know, major uh, contentious battles going on for senator, for the governor. Um, so, you know, locally, I don't think it's going to be much of a difference here for me. But, of course, nationally, it, it will be a factor for all of us depending on how it goes. And again, uh, I'm hoping that we do see a red tsunami. By the way, I find it interesting that I don't don't know when this happened, but at some point over the last 30 years, the colors were inverted. Red used to be the color correctly (laughs) of the left because that's the color of the left. And now somehow it's the color of the conservative side. But at any rate, let's assume that the Republicans get in. I think immediately after that happens, there has got to be some serious action and not just talk. And I don't think the people are going to tolerate it if these uh, newly elected Republicans uh, just perform the usual businesses as usual after they get elected. No, I'm I'm with you there, and and I'm again we, we're deep in trouble 
and and there's there is no easy way out of this. It's not like oh, we just put the right people in. Everything's going to cost less, and mm-hmm. energy energy's going to be readily available. The damage that's been done in the last two years is is pretty remarkable. But I think if if enough people just wake up to it, at the very least, they can put the brakes on. Then we can start to looking at uh, well, what's the phrase? Building back in in a more appropriate mm-hmm. way, as opposed to building. We back may better. be looking at something actually more profound than that. I think um, if the natural evolution occurs, that we once again back to get back to discussing the principles of things, the foundations of things, as opposed to having these utilitarian arguments where everybody seems to agree on the foundational premise of it. In other words, the government plans are the way to fix things. If we get back to talking about principles, you know, theft is wrong, robbery is wrong, even if they call it taxes, people have a right to be let alone, period. You know, all of these sorts of things that we libertarians have been talking about for decades. If that conversation starts to happen, then I think the next conversation will be how do we figure out a way to separate? Because we can't live together. People who believe in using force, coercion uh, as the basis for human civilization and for societies cannot coexist with people who think that using force and coercion is fundamentally wrong morally. True. Yeah. And, and, and this, this is where I have been focusing my efforts is on what do we build the, for what comes next? And those parallel societies, I think you and I've talked about this mm-hmm. before, parallel economies. Uh, yeah. this, how about, you know, homeschooling? You thought it had a, a renaissance after, you know, the, the COVID lockdowns. Okay, now the CDC says, well, we're adding the uh, requirement for an mRNA vaccine to our, you know, you have to have these in order to go to public school. That's going to drive some folks out of the public schools for sure. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. I meant to mention it myself, that that is a, one of these wonderful unintended consequences of what these tyrants uh, have been doing by putting parents in this position of having to subject their child to potentially uh, life-altering damage or death uh, as the price of being permitted to go to a government school is, as you say, going to prompt a lot of these parents to revisit the whole idea of sending their kids to government schools, and they're going to figure out ways to school them at home or school them any way they can outside of the government school system. And I noticed that uh, even a handful of states stepped up immediately after the CDC's announcement and said, we will not require that to attend public school. Well, I mean, how states. could they not? How could any any human being that isn't out of their mind? You know, I mean, I'm not I don't think I'm being hyperbolic or exaggerating about this at all. How could any human being say that it's reasonable, let alone morally right uh, to force kids who are essentially nil, literally nil, almost zero risk? of this Rona to get these vaccines that we know are dangerous. It's insane. Hold that thought. We'll be back with Eric Peters, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back. We are talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Eric, I got to say, you you have coined a word that I think should be part of uh, more people's lexicon. That word is allopathia. Talk to me about the origin of this word. Well, it, it's, it's my combination of allopathic, which is the word that uh, describes the traditional modern medicine, which you know, is essentially based on pills and surgery, uh, as opposed to uh, dealing with the underlying causes of, of health problems and uh, pathology, you know, uh, obsessive compulsive uh, behaviors. So what we've got now is 
the allopathia that's manifested in masking and this, this idea of constantly being shot up with these vaccines that don't prevent you from getting sick uh, or preventing other people from getting the sickness that you've got. Um, it's this, this crazy reliance on things that don't work. Uh, you know, the medical system generally, not all doctors, but the system, has cast itself into such disrepute over the past three years. I think the damage is, is beyond devastating. And the only way that it's ever going to rehabilitate itself is to fundamentally change itself. Uh, a lot of doctors have done that. A few brave ones have said, I'm not partaking of this. I'm not going to toe the line. I'm not going to tell people that, that putting on a mask is going to keep them from getting sick. I'm going to tell them to be healthy, to not get sick. And I'm certainly not going to tell them to take these drugs being pushed by the pharmaceutical companies that are dangerous and unhealthy. What do you think about, uh, I, I don't remember which state attorney general, but I know at least one state attorney general has, uh, has signed on to the idea that, uh, or no, I'm sorry, it was a federal judge who signed on to the idea, we need to get Anthony Fauci and others on the witness stand answering questions. I, I kind of like the Absolutely. idea that they're being called into the docket. Absolutely. And uh, from the witness stand, hopefully into the defendant seat, um, because what these people have done at minimum is malpractice. And I think it goes beyond that uh, into reckless endangerment. At the very least, you know, the things that they were uh, telling people, uh, you know, people who look to them as the experts, because after all, weren't they presented to us that way? These people are the experts. They know best. You should listen to them. In fact, uh, you must listen to them, is what people were told, which makes it doubly bad. It's one thing uh, for a person to go out there and, and offer shoddy advice, which you're free to take or not. But this shoddy advice became the basis for effectively public policy, for uh, telling people they had to abide by this, else lose their job, uh, you know, or all these other repercussions, not even to be permitted to enter stores, to shop, to just engage in normal economic life. And it's absolutely outrageous. And the people behind it need to be held accountable for it. And, of course, uh, th- this couldn't be a full discussion without talking about the influence of, of Big Pharma, including its ability yep. to lobby government for policies that, that favor it. And, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, Big Pharma is, is going to have the protection it needs to keep pushing things that don't work. And uh, yet people still have a hard time making the connection. Well, you know. If, if they're if they're buying influence, if they're buying, you know, political outcomes, you know, isn't that a problem? Yeah, they, well, they, they're they, not doing that. Yeah. And if they were, the media would tell us, wouldn't they? Well, you know, Fauci is an ex- execrable character, but he's really just a puppet. He's one of these well-paid people that are put into positions in the government to do the bidding of the pharmaceutical cartels. The real villains are people like that Burla character, uh, who is the head of Pfizer. Which, by the way, after they secured the unanimous endorsement of the CDC to force these vaccines on kids through the government school system, quadrupled the price of their drugs. Ah, who could have seen that coming? Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, this, this unweaning influence over the government, you know, leaving aside the libertarian arguments about government per se, we have a really major problem in that. The regulatory apparatus has been captured by the very industries that ostensibly it's there to regulate. The FDA, for example, is wholly beholden to these pill pushers. Uh, and, you know, it's it, in fact, the people who end up uh, running the FDA are former people who work for the pill pushing companies. Uh, and it's incestuous. And the conflict of interest is so blatant and glaring. But unfortunately, the average American doesn't know about it because. The major mainstream media, as they like to style themselves, doesn't say anything about it on their programming. Hmm, and you know why they don't? 
because most of their advertising revenue comes from those very same pill-pushing pharmaceutical cartels. Wow. I I have to go see the doctor today. Got to do a follow-up on a shoulder injury I suffered about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel the same, whether it's walking into the dentist's office, whether it's walking into the yep. doctor's office, even into the Instacare. It feels like you are walking into either occupied territory, if not outright enemy territory, depending on how strict their policies are. Mm-hmm. I, I'll go farther. I think it's even worse than that. It's it's akin, in my view, personally, uh, to going to Haiti and having a witch doctor shake a chicken bone at you. <laughs> uh, you know, these, these people have they they've proved uh, that they're uh, that they're that they're incompetent. That they are uh, that they are they're they're just tools of these corporations, and they. Uh, whether 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 out of just incompetence or just cowardice, they will just do whatever they're told by their corporate paymasters. And who would trust such a person to give you advice about something important like your medical health, like whether you need to get an operation, need it, literally need it, as opposed to he needs it because he needs to uh, make another payment on his Porsche? No, it's it's a good point. And here's the sad thing. I, I think we all know people in the medical profession, and we know people who are perfectly honorable, but uh, does it matter? When you know when when the influence is such that look you have to toe this line or you likely yep. are going to lose your job. That's the problem. Um, and you know, for people who do need the services of a doctor, I think it's sound policy to seek out. They're harder to find than an independent practitioner who isn't somebody who's working for one of these big hospital cartels. And that's tough. You know, I sympathize with these these doctors. It costs a fortune to go to medical school. They come out of it massively in debt. And it's very difficult for them to establish an independent practice. So they end up joining these big corporate cartel operations, and that's their paymaster. So, you know, like most people, they do what their paymaster expects them to do. Wow. <clears throat> well, I know California was uh, was among those that was leading out on, you know, punishing doctors who offer a second opinion that, that uh, somehow doesn't correspond with the consensus. I don't like seeing our medical, oh, medical freedom. You know, it's diminished. worse than that. My understanding is that the, in California, if a doctor purveys what the state considers to be misinformation, but which is in fact fact, they can have their medical license taken away simply for conveying to a patient, look, here are some of the risks. For example, you could get myocarditis or pericarditis, which is an acknowledged fact about these vaccines, Bell's palsy, whatever. If they state that fact to a patient, they can have their medical license taken away from them. Wow. Yep. I well, I, this is exactly why I'm I'm ready for the Nuremberg style tribu- pr- tribunals. Mm-hmm. It's completely unacceptable. Completely, we we're going to have to have a major shakeup of some kind or another. I think it's going to be uh, political, social. It's going to be ethical. You know, I do think that we are on the cusp of some kind of a major turning of sorts, and hopefully, it will turn out for the best. I I, I, I try to have faith that insanity and evil. Are, are not the dominant characteristics of, uh, of, of, human, of human beings, and I guess we're going to find out soon enough. All right. Seen anything? Uh, we got a couple minutes here, but have you seen anything mm-hmm. that uh, leaves you feeling optimistic here lately? Boy, let me think about that. <laughs> Take all the time that. you need. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, well, I mean, it's been a pretty mild October so far out here in southwest Virginia, and so I haven't had to burn a lot of wood. Uh, or uh, or or uh, turn on the propane, so I suppose that's a good thing. But no, be be, be serious. I I like this movement uh, of decentralization that people are attempting, and I see this all over the place to develop their own local networks to get more in tune with what's going on in their neighborhoods and communities and among themselves, as opposed to just waiting to be told what to do 
by these top-down centralized con- con- uh, uh, control structures. Yeah. Yep. We've got some motivation, and I think that means eyes are being opened. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, of course, uh, credit you and, and numerous other voices out there who've been saying it for a long time, but finally it looks like uh, the message is gaining some traction. Thank goodness. Yeah, and there's another thing, too, that's relevant to this that I think I might mention. You know, the PayPal fiasco that we've talked about, there are a number of alternatives to that that are propping up, and I'm getting involved with that because I have to, and I think you do, too. Yes. Um, And the more of that that happens, the better. You know, we can just pull out, and by pulling out, we take away the power of these people over our lives that they've managed to just gradually acquire over the space of many generations. And it's going to take a little while to take it back, but we can take it back. Eric, great to talk with you as always. Have a great week, my friend. Ditto, Brian. You too. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And a special thank you to Garage Door Pros, located in St. George, Utah. I appreciate them being a sponsor of this program, as well as my other sponsors. They help to keep the lights on, they keep the wolf away from the door, and they also provide a very valuable service for my listeners living in St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, or Colorado City. Namely, they install, service, and repair garage doors, residentially as well as commercially, And they do a fantastic job, as in quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you. Probably worth your time to talk to them. Call 435-525-2773. Go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. You'll learn a lot about them, especially if you take a look at some of the customer reviews. These are folks who specialize in positively outrageous good service. Garagedoorproservices.com. Well, a couple things uh, to pick up on here in the back half of the show. Um, one thing that I wanted to, to share with you, an excellent article from Annie Holmquist from intellectualtakeout.org. And, and this addresses a challenge that, that frustrates me because, I, I don't know, I, I have this thing sometimes where I, I look around me. And I, it's not that I'm trying to feel superior, but I'm wondering to myself, why can't people see what I'm seeing here? And, and I, by the way, I say that with, fully with the, you know, understanding that, well, Brian, that could be because you are as, you know, full of it as a Christmas goose. (laughs) Maybe I am. I don't know. But so few Americans are willing to really question the narrative. At least it feels that way. I know there are some who are waking up and chances are you're probably one of them. So this is this is not pointing fingers at anybody in particular. But Annie has a terrific take on why we're so susceptible to fake news, why we can no longer think for ourselves. She says, American lingo continually seems to be filled with new words and catchphrases. One of the more recent ones is fake news. Fake news became a rising buzzword following the 2016 presidential election. According to the Journal of Economic Perspectives, blame for fake news is largely placed at the feet of social media, which enables information to be relayed among users with no significant third-party filtering, fact-checking, or editorial judgment. Yet, as the Washington Post points out, Social media is not the sole purveyor of fake news. In fact, the traditional press may be just as to blame because the uncareful reader may easily imbibe inaccurate facts without realizing it. So subtle is the misinformation and so authoritative the source. 
Man, that's a good diagnosis right there. So she asks, how did we get to this state? Interestingly, the answer to that question was put forth nearly 200 years ago by Alexis de Tocqueville. Tocqueville found much to praise in American society and government when he visited the U.S. in the years before the Civil War. However, he also recognized that some of the benefits of America's democratic form of government could also lead to its downfall. For instance, writing in Democracy in America, he noted, quote, In democratic nations, the public, therefore, possesses a singular power of which no aristocratic nation can even conceive. Rather than persuade people of its beliefs, it imposes them. It permeates men's souls with them through the powerful pressure that the mind exerts on all the intelligence of each. End quote. Now, Annie says the outcome of such a state is that individual citizens no longer think for themselves. Back to, back to, to Tocqueville. In the United States, the majority takes upon itself to provide individuals with a range of ready-made opinions and thus relieves them of the obligation to form their own. People there adopt a large number of theories in philosophy, morality, and politics without examination on faith in the public at large, end quote. Now, Annie Holmquist says, ironically, it's this prized tra trait of equality which Tocqueville believes is at the root of this problem. Although he believes equality is a wonderful thing, he also recognizes that used improperly, it can lead to avenues which dim intellectual ability. Here's how de Tocqueville puts it. He says, I see two very clear tendencies in equality. One impels each individual toward new ways of thinking, while the other would induce him to give up thinking voluntarily. And I see how, under the sway of certain laws, democracy might snuff out the intellectual freedom that the democratic social state encourages, so that, in the, so that the human spirit, having smashed all the shackles once placed on it by classes or individuals, would tightly chain itself to the general will of the majority. End quote. So today's society places great emphasis and value on equality. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But Annie says, given Tocqueville's words, is it the wrong kind? Does the modern quest for equality dumb down individual thinking to such an extent that it becomes increasingly susceptible to propaganda and fake news? That's a good question. I can't help but think, too, about when I hear the term fake news. It's like we never had that term. All the time I was growing up and through much of my adulthood, fake news was never a term. Now, it's not that there wasn't, you know, propaganda and there weren't, you know, f falsehoods that were being promoted through official organs. But kind of like safe sex, as Joseph Sobran used to point out, nobody talked about safe sex when the societal norm was that you can find sex to marriage. Now, I understand. Not everybody did, Brian. You know, there was people who slept around. I get that. But when the norm, in other words, the expectation was, hey, you save yourself for marriage. For young men, that I mean, don't go get a girl pregnant. That's a low-class thing to do. You save yourself for marriage. We didn't talk about safe sex then because it really was safe. So in the same sense, we didn't talk about uh, fake news back when, uh, really, there wasn't, there wasn't fake news uh, to be found, or at least the news outlets didn't push so much fakery. It's kind of an ironic thing, but thinking for yourself has never been more important. And I know it's, look, I like the path of least resistance too. I like somebody who can explain things really well and, and you know, make, make it understandable so that I don't have to do all that hard work of thinking it through for myself. But the truth is you don't really own your point of view 
until you've done that hard work and you've encountered errors and you've recognized them and had to sift them out. Okay, that did not add up or that was a misleading statistic or something like that. It's part of a learning process. We're all a work in progress. So, you know, you've got to be got to be kind to yourself. But again, I say it's never been more important to think clearly and independently. In fact, uh, on that note, I want to just touch on something briefly. This is an article from Paul Rosenberg about uh, moving back to the Internet. And he says, yes, I know it seems the Internet has swallowed the world, but that isn't quite true. He says what actually happened was more or less the opposite. The world captured the Internet. Now, he says, if that sounds backwards to you, then he says, please stay with me. I'll start making sense of it by explaining how this post came together for me. Last week, he says, I published an article that I knew would not be appreciated in certain circles. But for me, their approval or disapproval didn't really matter because I posted it directly to the Internet, not to some intermediate service. And right away, he says, I got a comment from someone who reported, hey, I got banned on Reddit for saying this. Now, he says, I had no doubt the report was true. I've heard many of that type. But when I thought of something to say in reply, all that leapt to mind were things like, well, sorry to hear. I'm glad you spoke the truth anyway. I felt like there was more to be said, but I wasn't sure what. And then I remembered the old days as the Internet was first spreading across the world to the horror of entrenched interests like the New York Times. It was an intoxicating time. There were no gatekeepers. Interesting people were popping up on every side. Anyone could say whatever was on their mind. Now, not all of it was great, but it was free, open, unrestricted speech and thought. The overlords had no levers to grab, and the future opened up wide. In those days, getting onto the Internet was almost like walking out of a prison, and we all felt an odd, almost subversive aspect to it. Those of you who are too young to experience this, he says, please try to ask someone who was there. But his point is, since then, the Internet has been taken over by hucksters, techno-sociopaths, and mercenaries who saw it only as something to exploit. Rather than going through the details on the process, he says, I'll simply say that intel agencies built mass surveillance systems until Ferengi types with addictive services, think cyber gigs, started feeding them deep surveillance on billions of people at once. Over the past 15 years, the vast majority of Internet traffic has been herded into Google, Facebook, and Twitter, where people were very carefully monitored and controlled. It's an interesting point, huh? And so it's no surprise we've seen massive censorship and banning over the past few years. That was possible only because these holding pens aren't actually the Internet. They're simply attached to the Internet. And he says, that, of course, is what I ended up responding. Reddit is not the Internet. It's a holding pen attached to the Internet. The Internet was a wide-open, decentralized, almost free space with no gatekeepers, no no punishers, nor did it have almost any type of hierarchy. Everybody was on the same level. The Internet in those early days was the embodiment of actual freedom. It was a realm of the mind, not the realm of free stuff. So the Internet consists of things like websites, Bitcoin, comment sections, What I Saw, Alta Vista, Usenet. What's not the Internet? Well, that would be Twitter, Google, Reddit, PayPal, Facebook. So the Internet is still here. He says on it you can say whatever you want or nearly so. It still has a Fed problem. But shutting people down with court orders is a lot harder than just running an algorithm to obliterate thousands of people at once. So he says, I think it's time for a migration back to the Internet. It's not perfect, but it's massively less bad than shiny holding pins masquerading as the Internet. And he finishes with a passage from Ray Bradbury. We bombard people with sensation. That substitutes for thinking. Pretty powerful stuff. 
I'll have a link to this in my show notes. Check them out at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, a shout out to HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, and LifesavingFood.com, as well as Borelli Incorporated. You'll notice, by the way, when you go to my webpage, there are a couple of uh, little banner ads that uh, you can click on. This is particularly for those who enjoy the shooting sports. Uh, I have an affiliate link with Borelli. That means that every time someone purchases something from them through my affiliate link, yes, they kick back a portion to me. So I just wanted to encourage you and maybe everybody you know, go buy a $2,000 rifle, if you would, please. I kid. But uh, at the same time, if they have the shooting supplies, cleaning supplies, ammo, magazines, that kind of stuff, accessories, worth checking out. And they do have some killer daily deals. All right. That said, a couple of quick things here. I want to start with a quick note from Andrea Widberg. This is from AmericanThinker.com. And I know that I shouldn't even have to say this, but not all behavior is either acceptable or worthwhile. I know you're not supposed to say that because uh, then somebody could get the idea that, you know, drag queen story hour is not a good thing. And we all know that's a very good thing, Right. Well, it's a really unpopular truth, but it's still true. Andrea Woodberg says there is nothing innocent about Drag Queen Story Hour. She says, lately, it seems like every library and school in America, even those in relatively conservative jurisdictions, are bringing in drag queens to perform for and train children. And according to Christopher Rufo, this is not just a random cultural occurrence. It is instead the result of a deliberate 40-year-long campaign to bring transvestites and children together in a site of queer pleasure. That's from their official literature. Rufo, along with libs of TikTok, Matt Walsh, and other culture warriors, is brushing away the rainbows and sparkle to expose the hypersexuality behind transgenderism and the way it's deliberately targeting American children. By the way, I read a passage that uh, Rufo had posted on uh, Twitter yesterday, and really it does. It aims at the family. It, what it does is it creates an alternative family, that's in quotation marks, for children, which is uh, similar to code language that was used uh, years ago for, you know, underground organizations, the mafia, actually, even, you know, even closeted homosexuals, you know, had certain code words and things that they would use if they were out, you know, socializing and trying to bring, you know, new uh, recruits. I'm sorry, that's going to offend some people, but they can't make their own kids. They got to recruit them. So they would, uh, you know, bring them to the family. You know, oh, you must be family. Now, look, different people have different agendas for doing aggressively, trying to uh, insert drag and other non-traditional sexualities, that is, not marriage and family, into mainstream American culture. Andrea Woodberg says, at a political level, offering an ethos of easy sexual gratification, that gets votes. At a secondary level, sexualizing children puts them at odds with families, thereby destroying families and increasing the state's power. And finally, at a more subtle level, sexualizing children breaks down their sense of personal integrity, leaving them vulnerable to manipulation and control. And among the shock troops on the ground, though, there's just one reason to sexualize children. That's for sex. It's really not more complicated than that. For those trying to trans your children, 
She says, well, they've managed to hide this abusive and perverted motive behind phrases like gender-affirming care and most especially behind pretty things, rainbows, sparkles, glitter, songs, and dances. As Rufo explains, the drag queen may appear as a comic figure, but he carries an utterly serious message, and that is the deconstruction of sex, the reconstruction of child sexuality, and the subversion of middle-class family life. The ideology that drives this movement was born in the sex dungeons of San Francisco and incubated in the academy, and now it's being transmitted with official state support in a number of public libraries and schools across the United States. This is a terrific article, and it gets right to the heart of, uh, of what is going on here. And I know the temptation is, well, now, Brian, we got to be nice. we got to be diplomatic. we got to be accepting. we got to be tolerant. No, actually, you don't. Come on, where, where your kids are concerned, you do not have to be accommodating to the point of letting strangers corrupt and twist your child's mind into something that's designed not only to, to sexualize them at a far too early age, but also to destroy your relationship with them. And frankly, there are a number of teachers across the country that are doing exactly that. It's okay. Your pronouns are just between you and me. Your parents don't have to know anything about this. I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember when stranger danger was, hey, when an adult tells you, we can't tell anyone about this. This is just our secret. That's usually a really bad thing. So I'll include this article from Andrea Woodberg in today's show notes. Well worth your while to read it. And understand, it's not just innocent fun for the whole family. It's aimed at the family, but it's not to benefit the family. It's to destroy it. Also, this is the kind of the optimistic note that I'd hope to end on. J.B. Shirk, also writing for AmericanThinker.com, has a great take on how to win with wisdom. wisdom rather. He says, the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus argued a man's character is his fate by which he meant that we're all capable of shaping our futures. But it's also true that a nation's character is its fate and that countries prosper or perish by their own hands. So he says, you take those two truths together and it's easy to look around and lose hope about what lies ahead. Western civilization is in moral peril and spiritual decay. Increasingly authoritarian political leaders have abandoned enlightenment principles, recognizing the sanctity of individual rights and a social compact ensuring that legitimate government only arises from the consent of the governed. Therefore, virtue is maligned while sin is lauded. Constitutional protections and inherent freedoms are ignored. Manipulated language and propaganda supplant both meaning and the pursuit of truth. And he says something that I'm sure most of us has felt. Surely we are damned. (laughs) It feels that way sometimes. Or he says, maybe the endless winds of chaos and change have conspired to make us sure that we are here to lead at this moment in history. Maybe you see the collapse around us clearly because you are meant to help rebuild and lift others up. Isn't that an interesting take? When our brains and hearts tell us something is terribly amiss in the world, then we are given an opportunity to fix what's out of place. And when everything around us seems wrong, then we are given the chance to change everything. Now, that's either a heavy burden or an extraordinary gift. But which it is remains our choice. The great blessings of free will will flourish only with sacrifice and duty. We are, as the English poet William Ernest Henley reminded, the masters of our fate and the captains of our souls. It is our character that will decide what is to come. It is our choices that will shape what lies down our road? 
That is so powerful. And it comes down to this question, okay? And this is what J.B. Shirk says. The question for anyone alive today is what will you do with that moment? What will you do when the moment comes that you either stand and protect those things that are most precious or you acquiesce and say, no, go ahead, take them away? He asked, will you let it slip by because you convinced yourself there's nothing to be done? Will you throw your hands up in despair at overwhelming odds? Will you hope that someone somewhere does something in your stead? Or will you dig deep and armor your resolve with iron courage? And he says, I say that for a large number of Americans. Iron courage will take the day. I say this because deep down in American souls is an indomitable yearning passed down from one generation to the next demanding to be free. Now, it may, it may lie dormant or even unknown to those who have yet felt it coursing through their veins, but there is an American spirit burbling just below the surface of polite society, packed with feral energy and begging to be released. When Americans realize they're being trapped and prodded and backed against the wall, righteous anger will transform into unmitigated and unrelenting rage. The tormented will rise and finally have their say. Now, he says, make no mistake. This is a contest of wills not at all different from that which birthed the American Republic. On one side is an entrenched global empire of our aristocratic elites, and on the other side is a ragtag group of disparate Americans whose mutual bond and chief inheritance remain their abiding ambition to remain free. Like that same contest two and a half centuries ago, victory will be neither quick nor certain. I know it seems like a lot to, to process. But we do have that choice before us right now. And as J.B. Shirk points out, the line between folly and calculation is indubitably thin. It's extremely easy to rush into a losing proposition when patience is required. It's easy to unleash vengeance when wisdom counsels restraint. And it's too tempting to let the enemies of freedom provoke us into tactical errors of judgment. But it's hard to hold the line, you know, while you're being taunted, persecuted, and jailed. But he says it's never too early to spread the word about what's coming. It's never too easy, never too early, rather, to gather friends of freedom by your side. It's never too early to stand for free speech, freedom of religion, and individual liberty. When that moment for great change comes calling, you will know for certain that the time for courage and daring has arrived. I know some people are like, you, you're delusional to think these kind of things, but my heart tells me otherwise. I think we were born for this time. And because of that, as challenging as things are, I have a really strong sense of anticipation. This is The Brian Hyde Show.